Excuse me, is this the Oracle of Delphi? Yes, this is the Oracle. Cool, okay. Well, I gotta be honest, like, I'm not trying to complain, but I'm just saying, like, I thought this place would be way closer to the airport. Like, it took me, like, four hours to get here. I don't know what an airport is. Oh, wow. Okay, that's crazy. Uh, well, I came to see you because, frankly, I can't afford therapy. And I have been having a recurring dream, you know, like, or more accurately, a nightmare, really. Tell me about this recurring nightmare. In the nightmare, I am doing the society show. It finally made it big. It's the biggest podcast in, in the world. And then all of a sudden, we get canceled. Like, not cancel culture type of canceled, but, like, our liter our podcast literally gets canceled like a TV show. And what happens after that? Every time in my dream, I'm at rock bottom, and then I have a calling. A calling to open a sandwich restaurant. And the sandwich restaurant is called Eggy Bread. Our signature is we will upgrade the bread on your sandwich to French toast. Hey now. Hey now. This is William Hung. And you're listening to The Society Show. Blind monks in the catacombs guard the stone. Christian. Oh, Christian! Oh, Christian! It's your buddy, Kato Palin. Broadcasting live to tape across the nation and the world from the Lorena Bobbitt Theater from Seattle's illustrious podcast district, beautiful North Seattle. It's the podcast for a world gone mad. This is The Society Show. And now, your host, Mr. Society Show himself, Christian Patterson. Hello and welcome to The Society Show. Do you believe? society's lies my name is christian it's just me today i'm mr solo dolo also just to put it out there the society show is now streaming on twitch three days a week typically sometimes more but it'll probably be two or three days a week uh thursday friday and sunday usually and that's at night, so be sure to check that out. But thank you for tuning into the podcast. And I would like to use this introduction to the podcast to uh, raise some tomato hater awareness. Today is Tomato Hater Appreciation Day. October 7th, today, it's a day to appreciate the tomato haters in your life. Because here's the thing. Us tomato haters can't help that we hate tomatoes. We were born that way. I come from a long line of tomato haters. And yet society... Do you believe in society's laws? Still shames people for not liking tomatoes. Have you ever ordered something with no tomatoes? Over half the time, they just add tomatoes anyway. They don't even care. And I've been seeing on Twitter a lot of whiny discourse about how black coffee drinkers are so elitist and they, like, oppress people who like sugary-ass, creamy-ass coffee. But the thing is, sugary coffee is ubiquitous. 
there is an overabundance of sugary coffee. In fact, it's generally easier to get super sweet coffee than like good black coffee. I guarantee these sugary coffee lovers like tomatoes because if they knew the plight of tomato haters, they would sit down. When you ask for no tomatoes, most of the time, restaurants don't even care, and they add tomatoes anyway. If you go somewhere and ask for coffee, you'll get asked, Oh, and how much cream and sugar do you want in that smiley face? Has a tomato hater ever been given that same courtesy? Absolutely not. And that is why today is Tomato Hater Appreciation Day. No pomegranates! No, 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 no pomegranates! So we got a little monologue today. Uh, Let's get right into it. So um, have you heard about this? Uh, Yeah, a Turkish man was reported missing after he walked out into the woods drunk and fell asleep in a stranger's house. Yeah, the next morning, he stumbled upon a search party, and he joined in. Then they were shouting out his name, and he tried to tell the searchers that he was the missing man. No one believed him until a buddy in the search party recognized him. Yeah, and that Turkish man's name? Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, also David Lee Roth, the original lead singer of Van Halen, has announced he was retiring soon. Upon hearing this news, most people said, Retire from what? (laughs) Did you hear about this? Sidney Powell was one of Trump's attorneys um, when he was contesting the re-election. Yeah, and Sidney Powell has been put on a, quote, no-go list for all Trump hotels. Yeah, when asked about this, Trump said, quote, It's not like she's banned or anything, she's just a broke bitch. That's funny. I've never heard of a George Glass at our school. George Soros! George Soros! Now, kind of towards the top of the show, I kind of want to highlight three stories, and I'm not going to go as in-depth into them as I could, but I just kind of want to put them out there and give my rudimentary thoughts. My first thought is uh, regarding Steve Donziger. He is the attorney, the human rights attorney, who defended indigenous Ecuadorians as they uh, sued Chevron for poisoning their water supply, including in sacred sites. So what I know about the case is Stephen Donziger won in Ecuadorian courts after Chevron insisted on having the court in Ecuador rather than in the U.S., Because as far as I know, they thought the Ecuadorian court would be easier to manipulate. But Chevron ended up losing and had to pay billions of dollars, which they never did. And they kind of huffed and puffed, brought the legal process more into the U.S. to try to get the U.S. to clean up after them, legally speaking. Now, as for the details of how Steve Donziger ended up going to six months in jail, which he was just sentenced to, there's a lot of, you know, litigious stuff that I don't know all the details of. I do know that he is on house arrest, or he was on house arrest for over two years because he would not hand over evidence to Chevron um, in the like trial proceedings, which uh, apparently is very uncommon that someone would be like legally mandated to give um, information over to the people that they're fighting a court case against, um, at least in this context. Like, I mean, but I guess I don't know how the law works. I've just heard it's very unprecedented. 
And then the other element about it that's pretty unprecedented is that Steve Donziger was under house arrest for over two years without a charge. He was illawfully detained, unconstitutionally put in house arrest. He was detained without a... Well, I guess he had a charge, but it was for a misdemeanor um, of like contempt of court. And that's just like an obscene ch- uh, punishment for that type of charge. And now Steve Donziger has been sentenced to six month in prison, six months in prison, which is the maximum allowed. And it's actually pretty remarkable that anyone from any background in any context would be sentenced to 30 days in prison um, for this charge, let alone the previous like two and a half years of house arrest. So Steve Donziger absolutely is a political prisoner in the United States. And... He's a political prisoner, not because he um, did something to hurt the U.S. directly. He did something to hurt Chevron, because Chevron needs to compensate those people whose lives and, um, like, indigenous sites, they have ruined. They need to do that, and they have not paid up. But this really is just kind of like a bald-faced show how much the U.S. government is not in the driver's seat. They are driving on behalf of corporations, and uh, it's just really ugly. He is a political prisoner because he's a political prisoner against a uh, corporation. He He's a corporate political prisoner it's all there black and white clear as crystal the next thing i was going to talk about is uh the pair or pandora papers which uh just dropped a few days ago and the first thing i want to say is i'm pretty repulsed by a lot of the coverage of it and my reason for saying that is it doesn't like most of the reporting doesn't go into that deep of details about what happened which is kind of weird to me like uh, and I feel like this has happened before with like the Paradise Papers the Panama Panama Papers all that like they'll talk about some things in like minor detail but they never really like dig into the nooks and crannies and I suppose like uh, there's other journalists who can and probably will do that but it is like four terabytes of information or some shit like that i don't think it's really that much but it's like multiple terabytes of information I also want to say, I guess I'm just a little confused because obviously the things I have learned from the uh, Pandora Papers uh, certainly make a lot of government officials look bad. It really shows how bleak, like, international finance is. But at the same time, like, I feel like we hear about stuff like this a lot. And... Um, sometimes we hear about it and they treat it like, oh, this is kind of bad, but maybe no big deal. And then there's other times they're like, oh, actually you should care a lot about this right now. And it's like, well, it's hard to care more now because we know that all these rich assholes are just like doing a ton of dark stuff with their money. Like, and you're not exactly giving us a lot of specifics. So all we continue to know is is that these rat rich assholes are doing a lot of stuff with their money. It, you know, it doesn't change that much. It's called a money plane. Some of the baddest motherfuckers on the planet are on that plane, all craving action. Whatever you want to wager on, the money plane has you covered. You want to bet on a dude fucking an alligator. Money plane. So, several episodes ago, I announced that the show has a new unpaid intern, and his name is Ben Laden. So, that's B-E-N space L-A-D-E-N. Kind of an unfortunate name, especially because he was born on September 10th, 2001, Um, however, Bin Laden hasn't really made an appearance on the show, and he is, you know, such a crucial part to our office, so I thought I'd bring him out for a little segment. 
So please welcome Ben Laden to the show. What's up? <laughs> remember that? What's up? <laughs> yeah, I remember that commercial. So, um, Ben, do you want to tell them what you do for the show? Oh, you know, I, I refill the water bottles, I grab the coffee, I refill the gas, and I, you know, wash your feet. So, basically, uh, everything I do is quid-related. What was that? What? Quid-related. What's that? Oh, quid? That's what me and my homies call liquids. You also upload all the episodes and clips to YouTube, right? Oh shit, man. Am I supposed to be doing that? Have you not been doing that? Nah. 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 Okay, well someone's going to have to get on that. We have we must have a big backlog of uh videos that need to be put on YouTube. All right, boss man, I'll try to figure it out. Welp, gotta take care of that. I'm Audi. Hang loose. The first one I want to start out with is a uh, follow-up to last week's episode about the Filipino election. I wanted to announce that the Philippine leader, Duterte, announced his retirement from politics. Last episode, we talked about the Filipino election and how uh, Duterte was planning on running as vice president. Uh, there was a lot of back and forth about that that already. But now Duterte is just saying, nah, I, I'm, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to be vice president. I'm done. As Ben Laden would say, I'm Audi. So that's a little update on that. I used to be legit. In fact, I was too legit. I was too legit to quit. But now, I'm not legit. I'm unlegit. And for that reason, I must quit. Here's an article from the Times of Israel. Quote, this is the headline. U.S. strongly condemns settler assault on Palestinians in South Hebron Hills. Now, you gotta know that uh, these settlers did something real bad if the U.S. will criticize them. Let's uh, read a little more into this article again. This is from the Times of Israel. They say, quote, The State Department on Thursday spoke out against a violent attack by Israeli settlers on a Palestinian village in the West Bank earlier this week that injured at least 12 people, including a three-year-old boy. Next paragraph, quote, The U.S. government strongly condemns the acts of settler violence that took place against Palestinians. They, they basically repeat, repeat that last part. A State Department official said in a statement distributed to journalists who requested comment on the matter. Here's the crazy thing. So th it says the confrontation took place near the pal near a small Palestinian shepherding village, which is basically just like a, a little cluster of homes with some farms. And on both sides of it are two illegal Israeli West Bank settlements. Um, this article calls them outposts. I'm not really sure the difference between a settlement and an outpost. So it's basically a little village on both sides is an, an illegal settlement of some kind, and the people at those settlements came and started throwing rocks at the people who live in this little village. They broke a bunch of windows in their cars, broke a bunch of people's, like, noses, injured tw at least 12 people, including a little kid. I mean, this is just disgusting. I cannot. I cannot on my daughter's birthday believe that you would sit there and do some crap. And the fact that Israel, like, 
like the fact that this type of stuff happens in israel it's just so telling and we never even heard about this but uh the the one thing is israel actually arrested three of the people who perpetrated the attack which is unique for israel i mean the fact that it's unique is bad enough but it does seem like they kind of have to cover their ass a little bit because the U or Israel settles the West Bank way more structurally than just a few like far right dipshits um, stoning Palestinian children. It goes a lot deeper than that. There's a whole like societal structure that's um, helping that process move along. So. They kind of have to have to arrest the people doing stuff like this to cover their ass to be like, look, we're we're trying to stop violence when in reality their whole state project involves like violently removing Palestinians. Now, this next story, I really don't have much to say about it, but it is pretty shocking. Headline from CNN. Former Malawian lawmaker shoots himself dead in parliament building. Then from the body, quote, A former member of Malawi's parliament killed himself inside the parliament building in the capital Lilongwe on Thursday, a police spokesman has confirmed to CNN. Clement Chiwea, an ex-deputy speaker, shot himself in the head after sneaking a firearm into the office of the parliament's clerk, a spokesperson for the Malawi Police Service, James Kadadzera, said. And the interesting thing is the way he was able to sneak a, sneak a gun in is apparently he used a wheelchair and the metal detector at the parliament building detected metal objects which were thought to be from the wheelchair and he was allowed in. That's the, It detected the gun, thought it was part of the wheelchair. It's hard to say why he did this, but... Um, yeah, this is pretty crazy. It doesn't give much details in those terms. Um, but yeah, I guess he did it. You know what had to do it to him. And this next story, um, Georgia's ex-president, the country, not the state, um, was arrested after returning home. This is from ABC News, although they're publishing the AP. I just got it off. Um, ABC News. So from the the paragraph, quote, former president Mikhail Saakashvili was arrested after returning to Georgia, the government said Friday, a move that came as the ex-leader sought to mobilize support ahead of national municipal elections seen as critical to the country's political makeup. So, I mean, he's a little bit of a like, he was arrested for kind of rabble-rousing more than the, like, actual crimes. But let, let's get more info. So, they say the announcement by P Prime Minister Irakli Garbashvili came hours after Sakashvili, who was convicted in absentia on abuse of power charges and has lived in Ukraine in recent years, posted on Facebook that he was back in the country. So imagine, like, the the feds, like, that's how they check you, they catch you, because you update your Facebook back in the country. And, I mean, a big reason I wanted to touch on this is because if you've seen the video of him being arrested, he has, like, a huge smile on his face. Like, he seems so pleased with himself about it. But the interesting thing about this article is that uh, the writer tries to draw a parallel between um, this former president of Georgia and Alexei Navalny also going back to Russia, even though he was guaranteed to uh, be arrested there. Um, and it does seem a little bit similar, but I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. It's... the. The really most interesting part of it is the video of him getting arrested and, like, grinning like crazy. 
Why so serious? And for this last story, so um, this is from Reuters headline. Cutter's Cutter, first legislative election sees 63.5% voter turnout. And then it says, uh, Qataris voted on Saturday in the Gulf Arab state's first legislative elections for two-thirds of the Advisory Shura Council, a process that has stirred domestic debate about electoral inclusion and citizenship. Turnout for the election of 30 members of the 45-seat body was 63.5%, the internal ministry said. The ruling emir will continue to appoint the remaining 15 council members. Okay, so... Okay, so I'm a little... So, this sure council, they are legislators. But assumingly, like... It doesn't change that much because I'm assuming like the ki- the kings and cutter like the royalty can still veto anything, and on top of that, the they appoint a third of the cabinet. So I think this seems a little mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> Another crazy thing about it though is this change was approved in a 2003 constitutional referendum and it is just now being implemented. The crazy thing though is there is a huge number of foreign workers in Qatar. Like they basically have like an army of slaves that they import from other countries. Um, which means this says um, national, nation, well they say nationals, but citizens regular Qatari people make up only 10% of the population of 2.8 million. Even then, not all Qataris are eligible to vote. And it says basically if you're a Qatari national, you're not even allowed to vote unless your uh, family was in the country before 1930. <laughs> Anyway, I'll uh, cut this part short because I actually wanted to include a little preview of the Twitch stream um, so you could get a little taste of that. And um, I think this clip works just fine as an audio clip or as a video clip. And uh, so here's a little uh, segment from the stream. I won't do crossovers much, but uh, I do think want to like give people a taste of what my stream's like. So, um, anyway, this has been the regular part of the Society Show. Let's get into this clip. It's me responding to a podcast called All In. I've talked about it before. It's, um, I mean, I go over who's in the clip, in, in the clip within a clip. Um, but uh, I have denounced all these people before, especially Chamat Palahapatia, who is on the Society Show official denunciation list. Anyway, here's the clip. You know you make me wanna shout, kick my heels up and shout, throw my hands up and shout, throw my head back and shout, come on now. So this podcast, it is hosted by, let's see, so it's Chamat here, let me pull up a list of the hosts. I'm not making this stuff up. Chamat Palahapatia, Jason... Calicanus, I think his name is. Yes. That dork. David Sachs. And David Friedberg. So, I th- if I remember right, Sachs is the most likable one. But I hate all of these guys. So, let's see what they have to say. Because I think what they say in this segment is such crap. It's the, the principle. And um, and they would be much better off focusing on dealing with their own internal well, authoritarianism. Let me get anything, you got anything else on this issue that you want to before we, we segue over? No, I thought no, it was Freeberg's the one Do you I like. Yeah, I'll just David Sachs is like the most right wing one, but they also have right in since you put it on the docket. Psychiatrist and author Sally 
Sattel, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correct, wrote an article for The Atlantic entitled, The Experts Somehow Overlooked Authoritarians on the Left. Wow. The main point here wow. is that Trump's presidency sparked a ton of research and coverage of authoritarianism I'm on the listening. right, but mostly Fuck ignored the left. And some researchers even suggesting that the left wing, that left wing authoritarianism isn't real. In an email to Sattel, uh, a social psychologist from Rutgers said the following, uh, for 70 years, the lore, the lore in the social sciences has been that authoritarianism has been found exclusively on the political right. Why is that? One reason left-wing authoritarianism barely showed up in social psychology research is that most academic experts in the field are based at institutions where prevailing attitudes are far to the left of society as a whole. Sex. Okay, so before they he throws it to someone else, this is... Okay, first of all, they never really establish... I've watched this clip before. They never really establish what authoritarianism is. They give some examples, but like, what do they mean by left-wing authoritarians? And what you'll find is that the best example they can give is, I guess, like, woke culture. I don't think they really use that term, but, you know, being canceled. And, um... I don't really see that as the same uh, as like an authoritarian impulse. It's like a repressive impulse. It's like a counter repressive impulse against repression. But I mean, maybe that is authoritarian, but it's not authoritarian to me implies like a state structure where there is an authority figure, a president, a dictator, uh, who um, authors society. Um, he is the authority, authoring how it goes. Um, I mean, not to like pick apart like the specifics of its name to be like, oh, that's the definition, but like, just keep that in mind that like keep an ear out for what they define left-wing authoritarianism and also the idea that like research academic institutions psychologists are far to the left of society as a whole i don't buy that at all man like i feel like psychologists um, they might be, you know, they'd probably have the, like, Black Lives Matter, like, in this house we have blah, 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 blah signs in their yard. I'd believe they'd have that, but I don't believe they'd have, like, any type of meaningfully left-wing belief. Well, actually, Chamath put this on the docket, so, oh, okay. Chamath, do you want to introduce what, what you liked about it? The reason I saw this and I thought it was so interesting was basically we had an entire body of research trying to understand why some folks are attracted to um, these authoritarian figures like Trump. And overwhelmingly, wow. all the research at the time said they only exist on the right. And, you know, you, and all of this started after Hitler. And so there was all this research around the, you know, social and attitudinal uh, reactions to Hitler and how he came to power. And then all of the iterations of folks like him on the right afterwards. And so people put Trump in that category and then they said it can only exist there. But as it turns out, when this person did this research and she surveyed 7000 people and all of this data was very well summarized in this Atlantic article, which I'm sure we can post in the show notes that folks should read. Lo and behold, it actually exists on both sides. So as it turns out, the extreme right and the extreme left are exactly the same. They're moral absolutists. They believe in themselves. But moral absolutism isn't a bad thing. It's actually kind of a good thing to, to be central in your ethical, ideological, and moral worldview. Like, I am unflinching in the way that I view the world. But, like, I view the world based on a set of principles, and I adapt each situation based on those principles and new information. So the the idea that there's and and to call the right wing morally absolutist is farcical, man. There's nothing like moral about the far right stances. They they don't have any interest in morals. 
Like, the, the, <laughs> come on, this is so stupid. You are an idiot, bro. ...in themselves only, and they believe anybody else that outside of where they are is fundamentally in the wrong. And if you actually look at that and see how Trump behaved in his presidency, and now how you see how the left names oh, yeah, and shames... You actually Name find a lot shame. of commonality. Uh -huh. So the, the reason I found Very that article similar. interesting is that it actually mm -hmm. says, again, what we've been saying, which Both is sides. coming down the middle and finding you know reasonable Centrist. compromise is the only way forward. Because the compromise. minute you start moving <laughs> in either direction, you are the same. And that person is an ugly person that we don't so want around. Let me give the money quote and then get your feedback. So here's here's the... So here's the deal. They want people to think like the center is the best. And the reason why, if you're like a poor, regular, everyday person with everyday interests, just like living life as you normally do, you will get like you will get the sense very obviously that something is wrong with American society. Something drastically has to change. You might turn to a more right-wing view that says we have to drastically change society in a right-wing way, or you could come to a left-wing view. But there is, you have to remember, there are people who benefit from this economic system. There's people who benefit from U.S. society from being so fucked up. And it's these four jokers on this stupid-ass podcast. They benefit from society being the way it is. You know, we're living in a society... And they want to be the center because they are they don't have principles. He even said so with the whole moral absolutist stuff. They do not have principles. Their principle is make money. Okay? And because of that, they're like part of the few small class that is benefiting from the way society is right now. I'm Kato Kalen, and you're listening to the Oops, Society Show. Do you believe in society laws? So don't go. Don't go. Listen to the show, Society Show. Do you believe in society's laws? Freeberg. The similarities in the study included, quote, similarities between authoritarianism on both sides, left and right. Preference for social uniformity, check. Prejudice toward different different others. Willingness to wield group authority to coerce behavior. Cognitive rigidity. Aggression and punitiveness toward perceived enemies. Outsized concern for hierarchy. And, as Chamath pointed out, moral ab absolutism. Uh, Freeberg. I think authority. Okay. So preference for social uniformity. What does this mean for the left? It's really obvious what it means for the right, because the right wants to reduce the amount of outliers in their like identity based system. All we want all white guys. We want all right wing white guys with guns and we'll figure out what to do with the rest of them. Don't worry. <laughs> That's their social uniformity. Where's the social uniformity on the left? I don't see it. And then we have prejudice. Prejudice towards different others. Okay, what prejudice do does the left have except based on class? Sure, you'll find left-wingers who are like... You know, screw white people and stuff like that. But like, who? But who does the left like seriously target? Except purely based on class. Yes, you will have the people who are like white people. <laughs> but like, come on, like, don't take that too seriously. It's like they're they're entitled to express that, even if it's not like. The great basis for a worldview, because you should always be centered on like class dynamics. But anyway, willingness to wield group authority to coerce behavior. 
I do think this is something that is present on the left, and I don't think that's necessarily bad, because, look, the goal of the far left is to um, eliminate, destroy, reconfigure, um, get rid of the current system as much as we can, and put a more equitable system in its place. And that that's what a revolution is, right? And that is um, one group wielding authority to coerce behavior. You are saying to the uh, dominant class, we are rising up and forcing you to give up your property. That would be a left-wing um, revolution. These other ones they'll probably talk about more, but let's let's keep pointed going. out moral ab- absolutism. Uh, Freebird, I think authoritarian figures resolve when um, uh, a population feels uh, insecure. So, I mean, we talked about this last pod, but I do think that um, you know the notion of freedom emerges after the comfort of security has been provided. And I think the absence of security drives people away from the drive towards freedom. Like when you have a feeling of insecurity with respect to kind of your ability to get a job. I mean, remember Hitler rose to power when unemployment, um, you know, post the Weimar Republic was skyrocketing. People couldn't get jobs. They couldn't afford food. And the authoritarian figure was going to provide the security needed, I think, to resolve the concerns that the population had. And then, you know, people latch on to that. So, you know, there are moments in time when I think authoritarianism can emerge with different forms of resolution. It doesn't necessarily mean that the authoritarian actor needs to take a a left or a right point of view. They're just going to give you a path to security when you're feeling insecure. If you don't feel insecure, you're going to say that's ridiculous. So countries that are wealthy, countries that are privileged with the opportunities that maybe the United States has are less likely and less inclined to fall in, in, you know, in favor of authoritarian leaders. Uh, and then as we slip backwards, economically, unemployment wise, et cetera, we're more likely to be, uh, uh to be in favor of, of, of those sorts of actors. That's um, and so I think that, you know, from. we'll see him emerge. Yeah, but, don't, but don't you think it's crazy that we actually, uh, didn't think it could exist in one end of the political spectrum and now it does. You have a point in that or no? I never really understood the whole, like Hitler is purely a right wing guy. <laughs> like he was a, a, you know, a socialist and he was trying to enable. No, like, he was you know, social- Hitler was not a socialist. I'm going to give the whole rundown about why exactly he is not a socialist in a second. Services and socialized systems for people. No, he didn't. He privatized the economy. Hitler privatized the economy. That would be argued as being a very kind of left point of view. Um, And so so I don't know if it. Yeah, I. I, Let's go beyond. Let's go beyond Hitler. You're you're right. The the Nazi party was a national socialist party. That's what that's what the name of the party was. But. No, he's wrong. So here's the, I mean, it was, it was called the Nationalist Socialist Party. Here's what you have to know about the history of the use of the word socialism. Before Karl Marx ever wrote about like the Communist Manifesto, even before he wrote his earliest writings, there were already people using the word socialist, okay? And they were using the word socialist. They were using the word socialist because they, they didn't really know what socialism would be. They just saw it as like the future economic system. So, so there were multiple economic systems where they were called socialists. A lot of them were just like people describing in their head what they thought a better society would look like, and they called that socialist. Okay. Then Karl Marx came around, and he invented Marxism, started using the word communism, although I'm not, I don't think he was the first one to use it. But... In Marx's writing, he more or less uses communism and socialism interchangeably. Uh, he might have different implications depending on like what he uses and when, but he to him they're basically synonyms. 
However, that didn't change the fact that socialism was still used in different ways at different times. Like, it still had this sort of generalized meaning of any alternative to the current system. And then there was Leninism, which kind of differentiated as socialism is like a step on the way to communism. Marx, like, didn't really have that distinction. That was more from Lenin. And so by the time Hitler's around, there are a lot of different groups who were still calling themselves national socialists because they were right-wing socialists. But they, but like they were far right wing socialists. But to them, socialists just meant an alternative to capitalism. It didn't have the same implications of like a strictly left wing Marxist, communist, libertarian, socialist, whatever you want to say. Those type of beliefs that came later, um, and so they. Every, at the time, everyone knew Hitler was right-wing. He was described as such in every possible paper. He was not seen as left-wing. He privatized the economy. And besides, any social services he was for was exclusively for ethnically German people. Which is, I mean, that's kind of the same as the U.S. in a lot of ways. But, like, if you're rich, then you can get more services than other people. And um, a lot of rich people happen to be mostly white. But, you know, we're not racist like Nazi Germany. If you're white or, and you're poor, like, you don't get it. And if you're black and you're rich, you do get it. But it works on, like, instead of just, like, your ethnicity unlocking social services, your wealth unlocks a higher quality of a life in the U.S. So Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao, I mean, if you're paying attention to history, you know that there's been authoritarianism on the left, not just the, the right. And so, but yeah, listen, buddy, we hear about those all the freaking time. You're not you're not selling us some like revelation by saying that. It's not news to us. You know, in the universities um, and in the media, they only want to focus on the right wing. No, they don't. And I think what the study does. Dude, we hear Stalin was worse than Hitler all the time in the U.S., dude. Is it upend 70 years of dogma that that, you know, authoritarian authoritarianism is only to be found on the political right. I mean, it's obviously can be found on the political left as well. And you can see that in cancel culture, in speech restrictions, in uh, these um, very aggressive COVID mandates that are now happening. You can see it in the, um, the sort of the. Um, the but vaccine mandates are not explicitly left-wing they might be more left-wing and at least in the context of the u.s they're definitely more left-wing a vaccine mandate is more left-wing than uh, than not a vaccine mandate but like it doesn't necessarily have to be that it is like a government um mandatory government thing right but that doesn't make it left or right I mean, it's a little more left, but it's like center, centrist, center left, barely. The, the ghoulishness, anytime somebody in the right, you know, uh, dies from COVID, I mean, there's there's always some uh, chortling on the part of the left about this. Oh, there's um, chortling. The penalties for non-compliance. Oh, my God, chortling. I mean, right Cognitive now, rigidity is the one. Are you kidding me? Chortling? That is sick. Sick. That stands out for me. Like, there is just... On the left, they make a decision. Amazon is bad, and they yes, cannot move off of that, are. right, David? Like, well, what about Amazon what about is bad. To real group authority to coerce behavior, and what about aggression and punitiveness towards perceived enemies? Cancel culture. That would be cancel that, culture. That to me is fact, cult- yes. It, it begs a good question, which is, um, what socialist regimes have come to power without an authoritarian figure? 
That's the thing, though. That That's what they don't get. Any sort of transition from power involves, like, an exertion of force. So, like, let me go back to... Okay, so this whole willingness to wield group authority to coerce behavior, that's just what, like, a, a drastic change in society is. One group wielding authority over another group. It's just when it's a more right-wing fascistic type of authoritarianism, that is the group that already is wielding the power, like, grabbing onto all the power and being, like, you know, really just, like, taking it all and and coercing behavior on like more oppressed people if it's le- the left then the, it's in a it's a revolution essentially if it goes far enough and that requires exerting authority if that's authoritarian like i mean I'm not going to lie, like, that kind of is, and I don't mean that with, like, I'm not saying, like, authoritarianism is good, but it is, like, a necessary factor in a a sort of, like, revolutionary change in society. You know, we're living in a society... ...towards perceived enemies. Cancel culture. That would be cancel culture. That, to me, is... It begs a good question, which is, um, what socialist regimes have come to power without an authoritarian figure. They have to. That's necessary. They're all revolutionaries. <laughs> right. Actually. Yeah. He call it, He says it exactly. They're the, all the study, revolutionaries. <laughs> None. Right. Well, None. It gen- right. They're all revolutionaries. Right. And actually. It's, that's the thing. It has to be revolutionaries or else like it wouldn't exist. So like they're saying like, oh, the left is so authoritarian where like there has to be a sort of like authority enforced from outside of the old power structure for left wing policies to even be like brought to life so yeah let's the, the keep study going. has a really good point about this which is they they say that um the researchers describe what they called anti-hierarchical aggression so one of the traits of authoritarianism is is they call it an outsized concern for hierarchy but you know leftists think that they don't believe in hierarchy but actually they do they believe in an anti-hierarchical hierarchy which is they want to so this is like carnival turn upside down yeah. the social hierarchy and they're willing so the idea of the carnivalesque is that like at a carnival a conventional european carnival they have a role reversal where like men become women and the women are like the dominant ones and and then the rich people are poor and the poor people are rich and I don't really agree with this statement. Like, they could have asked these questionnaires and, okay, so if I could remake society, I would put people who currently have the most privilege at the bottom. I don't think I would necessarily agree with that, except for the fact that the people with the most privilege honestly in a revolutionary scenario probably would go down with the ship they're like i can't imagine living like these poor peoples if i don't have my stuff i am dying i think that would happen so they'd be like put at the bottom that way but i don't really necessarily agree with the idea that like they they should become um like the oppressed of society i think they should just be on the same level as people in society to justify the 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 ends justify the means in other words if you can turn the hierarchy upside down they'll let you do anything and it's actually pretty scary that's where the sort of the revolution comes yeah it should be scary here's a practical thing jake hell about what you said which illustrates this point even further Right now, we have a three and a half trillion dollar bill, um, kind of meandering um, through so Congress, and you know it's very much a question mark about whether it gets passed or not. And one of the elements that's in there is free community college. Now, when it passes, if it passes, um, there's a lot of support that that's something that the government should do. It's a good thing. But if you're a private company like Amazon who just announced that they will give you free college, they're still a bad company. They are. Here's the thing. The main thing that Amazon does is bad. They're extremely wasteful. They waste so much energy, power, 
just wasteful all around, right? And just because they offer employees free community college, that doesn't mean anything. And my issue with that is, like, they've probably never tried to get some type of benefits program through a job because they've never had a job. They're capitalists. And when you try to get a benefit, like, free college through a job, they make it so insanely difficult with all these hoops you gotta jump through um, because they don't want you to do it. It's not the same as if it was a government program at all. And this is the example of this intellectual rigidity that doesn't actually see the forest from the trees. What do you really want? Do you want the process where you control yes. and you meter out we progress? Want to control it. Or do you actually want the outcome where somebody can get a job where they make $15 or $20 an hour and also now get college paid for? I yes, don't I want that. Want no. Yeah, we'd much better if the I government- No, because then you have to depend on your employer and your college is uh, tied to a shitty ass job. I didn't have to provide. That I'd job. love. I'd love it if the government could pay for it. But I'm really glad that Amazon is in a position to pay for it as well. But if you start to become absolutist and say, "Well, no, if this needs to be top down and metered out this yes, way," and does. any private organization that wants to try to do it is still bad. I think that's where that rigidity holds us all back. It's unnecessary. Here's what it's I see. Not, it's Mock not is. the same thing. It's not at all. Through the government is how to do that for a million ass reasons. What Amazon will give you will be shit. It will be the most pointless, worthless process. You'll wish you didn't even do it. I guarantee you, as someone who's been an employee at a lot of places, gotten a lot of employee benefits, a lot of them are not worth the freaking seconds you, of your life you waste your time on it because they make it impossible just so many you're just like it's the second job you pe become a paper pencil pushing bureaucrat to get something like that through your employer they keep saying gig workers are bad nobody should be allowed to be a gig worker and david had a great interview with the ride sharing guy on call-in and in which they talked about the fact and this is somebody who is super pro advocate of drivers said listen 80 percent of people do not want to do shift work they do not want the government dictating how they work. They're misunderstanding what that act was. What it was supposed to do was make Uber drivers uh, have the same type of rights as an employee, which means they pay a little less taxes because Uber is technically employing them so they don't have to pay as much taxes. They're not like a freelancer or whatever. And they would be able to get health insurance through their job. There's plenty of reasons why Uber uh, should be t technically employing those people. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they would be working shifts. They could still be working like whenever they feel like it will still be entitled to those types of employee benefits. Work. And I talked anecdotally with an Uber driver, said he's making like 70 bucks an hour uh, during peak hours. They were fighting to get minimum wage wow. for drivers. Now drivers are making Don't 20, 30, 40, 50 dollars an hour. It. Uber rides have gone and Lyft rides have oh, gone massive. There's a free, massive the free, competition. The free market works. Well, and and they can't <laughs> wow. take the win. Free they, they still right. are so rigid on the left that they're demanding whatever that woman's name. Let's look into this. I'll Google the CIA's assassination hourly I'm not making this stuff something up. called science. For Yes, the CIA's yes, assassination indeed. manual 2475 that's in Washington state which is 65% above the national average so if this is the case i mean it, people driving driving uber are making a little more than i am damn in washington 15 to 22 i mean that's not bad it's not terrible, but it's still pretty bad, and it's nowhere near $70. That sounds like some, like, one-time-only weird edge case at, like, 4 a.m. on New Year's when, like, the whole city of L.A. needed a ride or something like that. Name is who is, you know, in the pocket of the... Um, Lorena Gonzalez. Lorena Gonzalez in the pocket of the, the unions. 
pocket of the How unions. cynical are they? The victory wow. is upon them. Yes. People are getting paid five times more, yes. three times more yes. than minimum wage, and they still want to screw them. The takeaway for a lot of people should be that you're... Sp- That's, but the issue is, it, without a union, then the company can concede all they want. But how, what's to say that in three years from now, four years from now... You know, we keep hearing that inflation's about to go crazy. What if inflation goes super high, um, you know, and the, what they're getting now is still shit. Like, it's even more shit than it already is or was. Without a union, there's no permanent mechanism to always push for, like, updated rights. If you're in a union, you, like, renew the contract every, like, year or two. If you don't have a union, yeah, they can give you concessions now, but it's not, it's like a quick fix. It doesn't solve it. Body senses should go up when folks present solutions as a choice of one source only. Ah. You know, when things, when things can, can only happen in one way and it's the way that I feel the most comfortable, yeah. your spidey sensor should go up and you should think to yourself, really? Hmm. Is, that, is that really the only way? Like, can't we have choice? Yeah. Can't we have different ways of solving this? Can't Maybe we, we can run incentives? an experiment and see what happens. Go ahead, Sax. Well, I, I think you're spidey. That doesn't happen. There's no such thing as like running society experiments and then doing the best thing based on the experiment. That is not a thing at all. And that's besides the, the fact that like there legitimately is good and bad ways to do some stuff. But they're too much of these like centrist capitalist scumbags that they can't see beyond that. Patience should also go up whenever somebody is basically saying that speech needs to be censored for some higher purpose. You know, uh, that 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 whenever people are trying to uh, abridge and take away our rights and our sort of long held values, uh, our freedoms, you have to start getting concerned. And there's always a reason why they want to do it. In the study, the quote that the the left wing authoritarians agreed with was. Uh, getting rid of inequality is more important than protecting the so-called right to free speech. So there's always some higher reason. The means always justify the the ends always justify the means. Um, but but that's that's what you have to look out for is when they're taking away your right to speech. To- Another fun proof point, um, fun because it's Dave Chappelle uh, uh, that you can listen to or watch to see a flavor of this left wing authoritarianism is called Redemption Song, which is a little clip he put out recently. And the the entire clip is more about him getting his body of work back from uh, Comedy Central. But the part in the beginning talks about um, folks on the left that really tried to dunk on him when he got COVID. And uh, you should just listen to his reaction and how he frames it, uh, because I think it's pretty powerful. And it, again, it explains that extremism on both sides, they actually end up looking the same. Yeah, aggression and punitiveness towards perceived enemies. And I think that applies to anyone who... Yeah, anyone who defies the, the, the whatever the conventional wisdom is on COVID. There's another another uh, example of the study COVID. of uh, that uh, that the people who the left wing authoritarians agreed with the statement. I cannot imagine myself becoming friends with a political conservative. So you know you've got these social groups that are completely uniform. And by the way, there have been like studies for a long time showing that uh, liberals are twice as likely as conservatives to be upset if their son or daughter were to marry someone of the opposite party. So. This is but also it. probably like eight times less likely to uh, be upset if it's like a black person or something compared to conservatives. Also, I mean, I can't really imagine myself becoming friends with a political conservative either. I do have some friends who are like somewhat conservative, I think, but um, I can't imagine making a new friend with a conservative but i guess that's just kind of where i am in life i guess this has been turned up in polls for a while but this and you've seen it on universities and college campuses right but there's this idea that you know anybody of the other uh, political side is just suspect you know morally suspect needs to be shunned uh, needs to be expelled um, like those are the people you have to be concerned about yeah, you can't be friends. I can't be friends with you, Sachs, because you voted for Trump. It's just ridiculous. People have this. <laughs> no, but it's, I think, 
it's the <laughs> derangement to, to give the other side of this. I think Trump was so extreme and so trolling and so great. I mean, if you think about his superpower, it was to troll the left and put them into such a deranged mindset that they did actually become that. Some people kind of were deranged. Like there is a minor salt of truth to like Trump derangement syndrome, but conservatives have used that before there was like bush derangement syndrome so uh it's kind of weak tea man you're buying the bullshit too much At which they hated most right but he he did he did troll the left but but here's but here's the thing is that we only hear in the media about the authoritarianism of the trump administration how many times were they screaming fascism during the trump years and and now today, and, and of course, you know, if you go to MSNBC, it's, it's January 6th all day, all the time. That's all they want to talk about. But you, you, there's a total blind spot with respect to the authoritarian tendencies of the left, which we see right now in COVID policy. I mean, it is getting so extreme right now. And I mean, Freeberg, you posted a, the breaking news that just announced via pre- press conference, Gavin Newsom is now implementing. Okay, so that was their little transition segment. I hope you have enjoyed listening to The Society Show. You can find more about the show at societyshow.net. You can follow me at, on Twitter at Christian I-Z Cool. Christian is cool is spelled I-Z. You can follow the show on Twitter at societyshow.net. And with that, thank you for listening to The Society Show.